We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I am excited uh, because we get to step into our new Christmas series called Shadows of Christmas, and this series is going to take us all the way up to Christmas Eve. And uh, I want to go ahead and tell you that Christmas Eve this year is on the 24th, in case you didn't know what day, and we're going to do three services uh, at 2 o'clock, 3.30, and 5. And I want you to go ahead right now and be making plans uh, for what service you and your family will attend. And if, if you've never done a Christmas Eve service with us, they are awesome. They're so much fun. And it's a candlelight service. We, we want you to bring your kids in with you. We have a moment for the kids. We sing fun songs. And it really is a really sweet and special service. And, and I want you to go ahead and be carving out a time. Pick one of those hours and come and be a part of that. And, and I'm excited because it's Christmas. It is my favorite time of year. Anybody else, this is your favorite time of year. Right now, what we're in. Yes, I love it. I love the decorations. I loved coming in this morning and seeing the trees up. Now, just confession, how many of you have already decorated your house for Christmas? I'm proud of you. I'm proud of us too. Hey, we're, the rest of you, let's go. Let's be about it. We, we, we love uh, Christmas. I love the decorations. I love uh, uh, just the trees and the, the, the food and the music. And it, I love it because I get to listen to one of what I think is the greatest Christmas songs of all time. And I want you, one, I want to see if you agree with me, but two, I want to know if you can pick this song out. So I just want to play a little bit. I want you to listen. Tell me if you know what this is. Anybody? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay. I'm going to give you just a few more seconds. Let's just listen here. Mm, sing it, Ray. Sing it, Ray. Okay, that's good. All right, who, who can tell me what that song is? Anybody know the name of that song? Nobody ever knows the name of it, but they can tell me where they heard it, which is where? Now, okay, so now I know who the sinners are in the room. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now I know where the unredeemed are. We're going to get that fixed, okay? I need the rest of you to go and Google Ray Charles, The Spirit of Christmas. You're going to love that song. And, and uh, I just love it. I love getting to listen to um, Christmas music and just entering into the Christmas season. But I want to tell you, uh, the thing I'm most excited about um, in looking forward to this series uh, is that over the next several weeks, we get the joy and the blessing of looking into the beauty of the advent of Christ. 
And if you don't know what the, uh, the word Advent means, it's a simple word. It simply means coming or arrival. We get to look at the coming, the arrival, the glorious appearing, if you will, of Jesus. And how his coming, though it was unexpected, it was perfect, how his coming was the complete fulfillment of every prophecy and promise of God that we see in the Old Testament. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if you look back through the Old Testament, it is filled with promises and prophecies about the one who was to come, about the Messiah who would come or the Redeemer who would come. The Old Testament is filled with those prophecies and those promises from God. And what we know is that in Jesus Christ, every single one of those is filled in his coming. So what does that mean? It simply means this. That all of God's word, the full narrative of scripture is about one person. It is about one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is concealed, if you will. He is concealed in the pages of the Old Testament. What do I mean by that? I mean that uh, every, every appointed person, whether it is a king like David or a slave like Joseph, every rescuer like Moses or kinsman redeemer like Boaz, every festival, every feast, every offering that was made, every sacrifice that was made for sin, every place of worship from the tent of meeting to the tabernacle to the temple, all of them are pointing to and shadows of one person, and that is Jesus Christ. He is concealed in the pages of the Old Testament, which means then that he is revealed in the pages of the New Testament. He is revealed in the pages of the New Testament, meaning that in the New Testament, we move from the whispers and the shadows of the Old Testament to the shouts and the substance in the New Testament. I love to think about Christ this way, that he is the divine substance of every shadow that came before. The divine substance of every shadow. Paul used, uh, he describes him that way in Colossians chapter 2 as the substance. And I love to think about him that way. But I think for us to understand it, really, we need to think about what a shadow is, right? What is a shadow? So I looked it up. And it is this dark area, here's how it's defined, a dark area produced by a body coming between rays of light and a surface. So when something intersects the rays of light uh, between the light and the surface, it creates a shadow. But listen to this part of the definition. It says it is a weak or inferior remnant or version of something. Meaning this, the shadow is an outline. It is, it is an indication or an implication of something greater. And what is it that is greater? That is the substance. And what is that? The substance is the real physical matter. It is the tangible, solid presence. The substance is the most important or essential part of something so that when we declare Jesus as the divine substance, we mean he, that he is the real, physical, tangible presence of every Old Testament shadow and that he is the most important and the most essential being in the entire universe. That's what 
I hope we are looking into and unpacking this Christmas season that Jesus is the fulfillment and the divine substance of every shadow that came before. You know, um, last Christmas, uh, my wife, who's the coolest wife, she got me the coolest gift. And that gift was tickets to go see James Taylor in concert. Now, I have loved the music of James Taylor for a very long time, many decades. And uh, uh, I grew up, I would listen to him on cassettes. If you don't know what that is, Google that as well. First Ray Charles, then cassettes. And um, uh, I would listen to him on cassettes and CDs. And it was just, I just loved his music. But I want to tell you, when we walked into that arena and I saw him on the stage and he was creating that music that I had loved for two decades, all of the sudden, the shadow of only hearing became the substance of watching him do it in real life. And it changed the thing. It ch- I, I love the music still, but I, would, I just would rather him just come to my house and do that all the time, you know? Now that I've seen it in real life, I don't want to listen to CDs anymore or, or uh, listen to uh, digital music. I just want to just do that thing where he comes over and I hand him a guitar and we just do that. And um, why? Because something changes when the shadow becomes substance. And that is, that is what the coming of Christ has done for us. And listen, as believers in Jesus Christ... This should inspire a joy and a hope in us to look into and celebrate his coming. Why? Why should there be this inspiration of joy and hope? And why do we talk about words like hope and peace and joy and love during the season? It is because of this. Listen, because his arrival is the unveiling or the coronation, if you will, of God's redemptive plan. The arrival of Christ is the unveiling of God's redemptive plan. It is the beginning, let's lean in on this, it is the beginning of the undoing of everything that sin destroyed. Now think about that for a minute. The coming of Christ is so amazing because it is the beginning of the undoing of everything that sin destroyed. His arrival is the light that is shining in the darkness. Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, which he is, Matthew is quoting Isaiah, uh, demonstrating again how Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies and promises. In Matthew 4, 15, it says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, On them, a light has dawned. Who is the light? It is Jesus Christ. He is the divine substance. And here is my prayer for you and and for me uh, through this series. And that is that we would experience the hope and the peace and the joy that is ours because of the light that has dawned on us in Christ Jesus. And listen, I want to tell you that that I know that the Christmas season is not always the easiest season for some people. I know that. Some, I, I, get, I get all worked up and jacked about it because I love it, but I know for some people that's not the case. There's, there's been a loss that makes this season difficult or a separation that makes it feel less than what you would want it to be. I know that these times are not always the easiest 
for us, but I want to ask you to do something this year. If that's you, if I just described you, then I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to, uh, maybe like never before, pray that the Lord God would reveal in a new way the hope and the joy in this season and that he would redeem the thing that sin has broken. Because that's what happens in Christ. In Christ, what sin destroys is then undone and restored. And so for some of us, that may need to just be displayed in how we feel about the season of Christmas. Because I believe, church, with all my heart, do you believe with me that Christ restores what sin destroys? Do you believe that? Well, if there is a part of that that you're wrestling with right now, I want to encourage you this season to lean into the redemptive and restorative power of Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to grab your Bible and go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. And while you're, we got about nine verses that I want us to read here. But while you're turning there, I want to kind of tell you where we are in uh, the book of Romans. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he has spent the first four chapters uh, teaching them about the righteousness of God, that God is perfect in his righteousness. And because he is righteous, he must judge unrighteousness, right? So Paul is teaching them the righteousness of God, the unrighteousness of man, and that God must judge that. And that the only means by which we can stand in that judgment is to attain the righteousness of Christ. And he begins to teach them how we do that. We do that by faith in Christ. It is not by it is not by works. It is not by your good deeds. If you are here this morning and somehow you believe that God is more pleased with you when you do good things, he is not. He loves you with an everlasting perfect love and no good thing you do makes him love you more than any bad thing you do makes him love you less. You are not redeemed, restored, justified or sanctified by any good deal. It, it any good deed. It is the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul has spent these first four chapters teaching them that God is righteous, man is unrighteous, and the only means by which we can stand in that judgment is to attain the righteousness of Christ by faith. And he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's that picture that faith in Christ leads to justification before God. And then he said in Romans 5, 8, how did Christ accomplish this justification for us? And we see it in Romans 5, 8, one of the most well-known and beautiful verses in the Bible. It was this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners. Christ died for us. Which mean, which I think we love the bookends of that verse. We would love to drop the middle on it for it to just say, but God showed his love for us in that Christ died for us. But right there in the middle are those two words that while we were still sinners. What does that mean? It means that while we were far from God, while we were at our most unrighteous, our most undeserving, and our most unlovable, in the depths of our guiltiness, and listen, as enemies of God, that's the moment Christ died for us. While I was still all of that, he chose to die for me. That is a beautiful 
beautiful thing and something that I'll never fully understand this side of heaven, but it is true that while I was far from God, he died for me, while we were still sinners. And because of that, in verse 11 of chapter 5, Paul says then that we should rejoice because in Christ, though we are undeserving, we have, been, we have received this reconciliation. And so it's with that in mind, I want to pick it up at verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. We'll read through verse 21. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul is painting this picture that Adam was a type of the one. When he says that, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, or, or some versions will say, how much more then, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, thank you, Lord, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Do you see the case Paul is building here? For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, this ought to make you shout, grace abounded all the more. Thank you, Lord. So that... As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want us to, to pray, and, and as we pray, I want you to pray specifically something for me, because there's some really beautiful but kind of weighty doctrine that we're going to deal with this morning. And what I want you to do is the thing I'm asking God to do in my heart and what I've prayed for you as well, and that is that God would illuminate His Word. I know you hear me talk about that when I pray before I preach. I want God, to, what that means is I want him to shine a divine light into his word so that that eternal part of me, my soul, which, which now in Christ tells my flesh what to do. I want my soul to divinely connect to this truth from his word so that it positions me to walk in obedience to it. But that is a, that's a divine transaction. That's a work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God in our hearts. So I want us to pray and ask God to do that very thing. Lord, I love you, and I, I'm so thankful um, for your Word. And uh, God, your Word is strong and powerful. It is 
It is, uh, God, it is good for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness. It is the resource and the tool you have given to hide in our hearts so that we can battle sin. It is an everlasting word. It is a life-giving word. And so, Father, this morning I believe that the word you have for your church is filled with life. And so what I'm asking, God, is that you would illuminate your word today. That for our sake, and for our good, but for your glory, would you illuminate your word and give us eyes to see it. I pray, God, that you would protect um, and hide your, your body and your bride from any stray word of mine. And that, God, you would just magnify your truth today. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you heard me say a moment ago that the coming of Jesus was the beginning of the undoing of all that sin had destroyed. And, and I believe it is what makes Christmas so special, that Jesus came to redeem and restore what sin has corrupted and destroyed. And we see in Romans 5 that through this first Adam, sin entered the world and death through that sin. But, um, and this is what, listen, this is what I want us to take away today. This is what I hope you walk out of here with is this. Yes, in the first Adam, sin entered the world. And yes, in the first Adam, that sin and death came in. But there is a second Adam. There is a truer Adam. There is a greater Adam, and that is Jesus Christ. And in him, listen, every issue, every issue, every circumstance, every condition that we deal with as a result of this fallen world finds its restoration every one of them. And you go, Matt, but you don't know the thing. You don't know the thing that I'm dealing with. What I'm telling you is if that thing is a result of sin and a result of living in a fallen world, that thing finds its restoration in Jesus Christ. But what about that sin that just has chased me down my whole life? That is the result of living in this fallen world and having a sin nature which tells me this, it finds its restoration in Jesus Christ. Whatever that issue is, when I say that, that condition, that circum, whatever rises up in you, whatever comes to your mind, I am telling you that in the person and work of Jesus, it finds its restoration. And I hope that that gives you joy today and, 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 and breathes life into you today. Because I find that exciting. I find it overwhelming that he would love us so much that he would do that. But I think in order for us to gain a right understanding of the greater Adam, which is Jesus, we need to first look at the first Adam and what was lost when sin entered the world. And that's what I want us to talk about first, and that is the first Adam is the first, and the first sin. Look again at verse 12 and 14 of Romans 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sins, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Jump to verse 14. And yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul is um, saying that sin came into the world through one man, and we know that one man to be Adam. If you look back at Genesis chapter 2 and 3, what you see is the creation story that um, God created Adam, made him on the sixth day, and out of his side he made Eve and brought his bride to 
Adam, and he gave Adam and Eve to one another, and then he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And in that garden was everything that they would need. It was a perfect place, and God had give, gifted it to them and told them, I have put everything in this garden that is good for you, for you to survive, for you to thrive. It is all here. You may eat of anything you want except that one tree. There's the one tree that you're not allowed to eat from. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if you eat from it, what did God say would happen? He said, you will surely die if you eat from that. But the rest of this garden belongs to you. And what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that Satan comes in the form of the serpent and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve. And the temptation that he uses is the is the same temptation that he uses on us today. The temptation he used on Adam and Eve was this, to essentially tempt them to trust their own wisdom over God's word. That was the temptation, to trust their own, because what would he say? Doesn't this look good to eat? It passes the eye test, right? There's this wisdom. It looks, looks good, looks safe. Surely God didn't say, surely you will not die. What's the temptation to trust your own wisdom over God's word? How many of you can confess with me that so many sin situations where I have found my knee, been on my knees in the wreckage of my own failure began with trusting my own wisdom over God's word? I'm telling you, it's the same temptation. He hadn't changed the game plan one bit. Causing us to try and distrust, to try to get us to distrust the Word of God and convince us that we know what's best, that we can figure out the outcome, that we know how this thing is going to work out and we can figure it out on our own. It's the same temptation. Satan deceived them and they took the fruit of the tree and they ate it. And immediately, instantly, they knew something was wrong. Right then, they knew something was wrong. God's Word says their eyes were open. They saw themselves in a way they had never seen themselves before, and they felt a couple of emotions and feelings that they had never felt before, things that were completely foreign to them, and that is this, shame and fear. Now think about that, because you and I are born with a sin nature, we're so acquainted with those two feelings of shame and fear. But, you know, this is the first time they made an appearance in this world was in the garden with Adam and Eve. Shame and fear. And you go, well, how do you know they felt that? Because the first thing they did when they ate that apple was they felt a need to cover themselves. And then when God came into the garden, they ran and hid. Shame and fear. That's what, that they felt that immediately. And this is the moment that Paul is referring to when he says sin entered the world through one man. It's this man and it's this moment that he is talking about. And listen, this is called the doctrine of original sin. That's what this is. That's a kind of a foundational doctrine of most of the Christian faith, the doctrine of original sin, meaning not only that this was the first sin and the origin of all sin, but this was the moment that our sin nature was born, right here in this moment, which means what? That because we are born of Adam, meaning we are born as a human being, we are born into his nature, which is a sin nature. 
That's how we're born. I think God's word affirms this over and over and over. I just want to give you a few verses. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have and fallen short. All of us, which means what? As a human race, we have one common disease. It is the disease of sin, and we were born with it. Having a sin nature means you were born with a propensity to lean toward yourself and away from God. It means you were born leaning toward rebellion and not obedience. That's that evidence of sin nature, of a sin nature. Colossians 3.10 talks about putting on the new self. Well, why would that be necessary? Because that first self is, is sinful. It, is, it has a sin nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old is gone and the new has come. Well, why do we have to be made new? Because the old self is sinful. And one more, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person, Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So being born in that first nature, just being a natural human, we don't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to us. Why? He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul is laying out for us the case that we are born with a sin nature. We are born separated from God and, listen, hopeless to restore ourselves. That's what the doctrine of original sin is. Now, you may be saying, well, I don't like that. I don't like that I have a nature that was given to me that I wouldn't have anything to do with. I wasn't there when they, when they messed up. Why am I born with a sin nature? I don't like that. I don't believe it. I, I think people are born inherently good, and then at some point maybe they make a bad choice, but I think they're born inherently good. All right, then let's, let's set aside the counsel of God's Word. Just set that aside. Let's talk about it from a purely humanistic point of view. Let's just talk about your children for a minute, shall we? And so <laughs> the, I'm going to guess... Correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere between 18 and 24 months, something started to shift in your babies. I'm just going to guess. And uh, around in that time, um, I bet you they started to do things that you didn't have to teach them how to do, like be selfish, <laughs> right? You didn't, no, I didn't send my kids to one selfish class, and yet somehow they walk in the gifting, okay? And I think it's on their mom, really. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Um, I didn't have to teach them selfishness or, or self-centeredness or being rude or thoughtless. Somehow, they just knew how to do it. And they were experts in it just like your children. And I'll never forget the moment this became very real for Carrie and I. So we had our, our sweet baby, Kelsey. She was about 18 months old, I think. And uh, by the way, she's 19 now in college and thriving by God's grace. He is rescued her from my child rearing, and she's doing great. Um, but around that time, we had uh, about 18 months old, a, a shelf that our TV was on, and under that shelf were a lot of VHS tapes. If you don't know what those are, you have more homework. Ray Charles cassette VHS, all right? And those VHS tapes were virtually all Barney movies, pretty much all Barney. A few Disney things in there, but everything else was Barney. And um, we had a rule that she wasn't allowed to touch those VHS tapes. We didn't want her getting in and pulling the tape out and messing them up. And so what we said at our house was no touch. 
There were just some things in the house that were no touch. The stove, that's a no touch. The iron, that's a no touch. The VHS tapes, that's a no touch, right? And so one day we're in the living room and um, Kelsey starts to ease toward those VHS tapes. She's just kind of waddling over and Carrie says, Kelsey, no touch. Just a gentle, motherly, loving reminder. No touch, baby. Well, Kelsey gets closer to the video cassettes and Carrie's voice changes as a mother's voice changes when she sees her children about to do something and she goes, no touch. Like, you know, there's <laughs> it like deepens a little bit. And, uh, and then Kelsey did something that was heartbreaking and shocking. While keeping perfect eye contact with her mother, she just goes, boop. <laughs> Never broke eye contact and touched those VHS tapes like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? And I remember thinking, you little wicked sinner. <laughs> what? I did not think she was going to need salvation. She's going to need it. This rebellious, rebellious, just this moment rose up out of that sweet baby. And I went, holy cow, she has a sin nature. I did not know that. I just assumed that was everybody else's kids. But no, it was mine too. And the point is, we all have that. You're born with that. You're born with that thing that is rebelling against what is God's best for you because you become convinced you know better than God. You're trusting in your own wisdom. And so you push the boundaries and you, you do that. And while the doctrine of original sin, it, it can be difficult to understand. And, it, and it, listen, I know that it's certainly heavy to think about. It, it does something very important for us. And it answers... A very important question, and that is this. What is wrong? What is wrong with the world around me? What is wrong in me? This doctrine of original sin answers that question for us. Why? Because we struggle to understand the broken nature in ourselves and in the world around us. We struggle to understand it. And it leads us to ask questions like, um, you just tell me if any of these sound familiar to you. Why do I struggle with that sin? Or why has my family struggled with that sin for generations? Or why is my marriage broken? Why did he do that? Why did she say that? Why am I getting passed over again? Why am I being left out? Why did I get this disease? Why did I just hear that diagnosis? Why can't I stop doing this? We ask those questions because we don't understand. We struggle to understand the brokenness of the world around us. Well, how do we gain an understanding of that? We realize this that we're born sinful. We're born with a sin nature. And it has separated us from God. And there is nothing we can do. It is a cause and effect. The cause is this. We're born in sin, separated, separated from God. That's the cause. What is the effect? The world is broken around us, and we are broken inside. Listen. That is why rebirth in Jesus is so necessary. It is why being born again is absolutely critical 
Do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees. And he comes to Nicodemus, or, or excuse me, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he, he says something like, hey, Jesus, we've seen all these unbelievable things you're doing. You're obviously from God because if you weren't from God, you couldn't be doing these things. And he's trying to pay Jesus a compliment. And Jesus just blows right past that thing and says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. No, Nicodemus didn't even ask about that. <laughs> well, what was Jesus doing? He's getting to the heart of the matter. He said, unless you are born of flesh and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. What is Jesus saying? He is saying there is a nature in you, Nicodemus, that you must die to and be born to something new. It wasn't just an affirmation of the sin nature and the old person. It was a declaration of what is possible in a rebirth in Jesus Christ. So that whatever that sin struggle is that has defined you in the old man does not get to define you anymore in the person of Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning have allowed the old self and the old sin struggles, which are still hanging on, to tell you who you are. And I'm telling you right now, the greater Adam has said, you're not that, you're mine. You're free, you're redeemed. Well, but there's still tentacles of it that hold on. There's still parts of it I can't let go. That's because we're still crucifying the old man, right? Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, this is not about what you know as a Pharisee and being educated. It's not about what you can recite. It's about one thing. Have you been born again? That's it. It's not about anything else. Jesus is saying, if you are born again, there's a new, a new nature. It's a new thing that is birthed. In you, and it's right about this story in the narrative of uh, right about this moment in the story. This is where, if this were a movie, the music would start to change a little bit, right? You start to feel the energy starting to build you know, on the screen, things are starting to get ready. This is the moment where Rocky's running up the mountain, he's about to yell Drago and then go knock him out, right? This is the moment where, where, where Samwise Gamgee picks up Frodo on the side of Mount Doom and goes marching in there. Anybody? Okay. Y'all have left me hanging so much today, and it hurts me right here, guys. I need you to go home and watch Lord of the Rings. Heaven help. Go watch Lord of the Rings, all right? It, it, this is the moment where the hero enters the, the narrative, where he enters the story, where the greater Adam moves in. And that's the next thing I want us to see, the greater Adam and the victory over sin. Look at verse 15 of Romans chapter 5. It says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Thank you, Lord. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many? And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul is helping us to see the difference here between the first Adam and the greater Adam. And he does this by comparing for us the trespass of Adam and the free gift of Jesus. Five times in this three-verse window we just read, Paul mentions the trespass of Adam. And five times he answers it with the free gift of Jesus Christ. Do you think he is wanting us to get the picture that in Christ, what was undone in Adam, in Christ is fully restored? Five times he says there is a trespass. And five times he says, but there is a free gift. He is wanting us to understand that what sin is undone, Christ is restoring completely and fully. You see, just like sin came from one man and that one trespass leads to death for all men, so too God's grace and the free gift of salvation comes through one man, Jesus Christ. And in that one man, in the greater Adam, we receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. I want you to notice two little words in those verses we just read. We see them a couple of times, and that is much more. The words much more. For some of your translations, it'll say how much more then. But those two little words, much more, it's used multiple times here, and it is incredibly important. Here's why. Because it indicates for us a a marked difference between the effects of Adam's sin and the effects of what Christ has done for us. Those two little words, they're easy to miss, but they are powerful in truth. And here's what they show. Somebody needs to hear this today. Here's what they show. That the redeemed in Christ have gained more through the greater Adam than they lost in the first Adam. Man, I don't know about you. I can't hardly contain when I say stuff like that. That the redeemed in Christ have gained more through the greater Adam than they ever lost in the first Adam. Which is to say what? It means that Jesus Christ not only canceled the effects of Adam's sin, but he provided more than Adam lost. What do I mean by that? I mean that in Christ, we receive more than sin could ever take away. No sin, no addiction, no burden. No strife, no battle can take from you beyond what Jesus can restore to you. Some of you are sitting here this morning to go, but you don't know what I've lost. You don't know what the sinful choices have led to. You don't know what I'm sitting in the middle of. You don't know about the sin that was done to me and what that's led to. And what I am telling you is no sin, no addiction, no strife, no battle, no thing can take from you beyond what God through Christ can restore to you. So wherever you are this morning, that thing that is hot on your heels and it just says stayed after you, that that addiction or that struggle or that burden that you are carrying, I want to tell you it finds its resolution, its redemption, and its restoration in Jesus Christ. That's where it is. So if Christ has restored more 
than we lost in, than what was lost in Adam and in that sin. What does that look like? I think there's four quick things that, that I want you to see that, that have been restored, not just to the measure of where Adam was, but beyond, more abundantly. Because what did Jesus say? John 10.10, 10, he didn't say, I've come to give you life and just give it to you the way Adam had it. He said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. So the way I think we see that is in four quick ways. Just hold on with me here because these are important. The first thing I think we see is this. In Christ, we receive a more exalted position than Adam. You see, Adam dwelt in an earthly paradise, but according to Ephesians 2, it says that we will be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We receive an exalted position. I think in Christ, we receive a nobler nature. Adam possessed the created human nature, but according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says that in Christ, we, have, we are partakers of the divine nature. In Christ, we have a new standing before God. You see, Adam was merely innocent, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that in Christ we have become the righteousness of God. And I think in Christ we have a better inheritance. Adam was heir of earthly blessings. But according to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says that in Christ we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Which means what? It means that he has restored beyond anything we could lose. And because of the work of Christ, because of the advent of his coming, because he is the greater Adam, we have a more exalted position. We have a noble nature. We have a new standing before God and we have a better inheritance because Christ Jesus restores all things. Every broken part of your life, every relationship, every act of sin done by you or to you, every burden you carry, every persecution you face in the path of obedience, all of it is restored and redeemed in Jesus. Amen. In Adam, sin was born. But in, in the greater Adam, sin is killed. In Adam, a single act of disobedience condemned the entire human race. But in the greater Adam, a single act of obedience, when Jesus stood up out of that garden and set his face toward the cross, a single act of obedience was sufficient to bring salvation to all who believe. In Adam, death reigns, and Satan holds power. But in the greater Adam, Death is defeated because it is swallowed up in victory. It's why 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22 says this, For as by a man came death, by man comes also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam, that's us, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's good news. That's good news for Christmas this year. So the question is this, just, just three questions I want you to, to ask yourself this morning. The first is this, have you chosen the greater Adam? Have you chosen the greater Adam? Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Remember now, you didn't, you didn't get to choose whether or not you were going to be born with a sin nature, but you do get to choose what you're going to do about it. 
You do get to make that choice. And this morning, if your confession would be, I don't know that I have ever made Jesus the Lord of my life, then I want to tell you right now that God has done everything, everything necessary for you to come to salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that God uh, made him, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel is this, Jesus came, his advent, he was born and he lived a perfect life and he became the sacrifice for us and he died the death that we deserved. Why? Because that sin nature, that trespass led to death and that's what we earn. But he died on our behalf. He went to the cross for us and in his death and in his resurrection, in putting our faith in that finished work, we are born Again, well, how do I do that? God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that is you this morning, just a moment, we're gonna sing. We do, I want you to just come. Grab my hand, grab the hand of one of our ministers. Our spouses will be here. Just grab our hand and say, I need to put my faith in the greater Adam. Maybe this morning, you, you, your confession would be, I've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I've put my faith in the greater Adam. Then here's my next question. Are you walking in the freedom of the greater Adam? Are you walking in the freedom of the greater Adam? What do you mean by that? I mean that Jesus died not to give you fire insurance from hell, but to set you free. You walking in the freedom, the greater Adam? Or are you allowing that old self, that old sin struggle, that old thing that happened years ago that was done by you or done to you, that, are you allowing that to tell you who you are? Or are you walking in the freedom of the greater Adam? Here's my last question. Are you telling others about the greater Adam? Have you been so transformed by the work of Jesus in your life that you can't help but declare it to someone else? I love Christmas because we get to look at the greater Adam and the greater deliverer and the greater sacrifice and the greater king. And we get to unpack and just dive into what he has done for us. I hope that brings you hope and joy this Christmas. We're going to pray, then we're going to stand, we're going to worship. And if God has put it in your heart to move, here's my challenge to you. Step out of these aisles and step up. We'll be waiting for you. Jesus, I love you and I'm so thankful that your word is ours now, that you have given it, you've gifted it to us, Father, and that it is strong and powerful. And Lord, I'm praying that your word has done its work today. And uh, so, Father, the next moments belong to you. I, I just pray that your spirit would move and that we would, we would obey courageously. I love you, Lord. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. 
As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.